0: This afternoon being uh, the first Sunday of a month, uh, we are returning to our first Sunday series looking once again at the Psalms. We were in Psalm 40 last month and we are continuing in Psalm 40 this month in which we see uh, Christ, uh, which we see based upon uh, what we have in verses 6, 7, and 8 In which we see that this is, while David is offering this prayer and offering this psalm, we see that it is pointing to the one who is the greater David, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hear once again from Psalm 40. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. You set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, and who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord... You will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God." Let us pray. Father, we have heard these words, which are your truth, your voice to us. And we pray, O Lord, that you would do your good work in us. We pray that you would command us what you will, and that you would give us what you command We pray you would reveal afresh to our hearts our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that from your word today you would speak to us. Guide the preacher. Keep him chained to the text of your word so he may freely declare truth. Help him to be clear. Help him to be accurate. help Help him to be understandable. Declaring that which is true. Knowing that it is true. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we mentioned last time, Psalm 40 comes as at a <clears throat> uh, Psalm 40 comes towards the end of several different laments. Uh, throughout the Psalms, we have seen a number of laments. Uh, the previous three Psalms, is, uh, in particular, we're speaking of pain, we're speaking of uh, difficulty, we're speaking of suffering. And in verse 40, uh, Psalm 40 here, we have the answer, uh, which actually continues uh, through uh, Psalm 41 as we end the first book of the Psalms. As you know, the Psalms are broken up into five different books, five different sections, and we're nearing the end of the first book of the Psalms. And what we saw last time is we saw the uh, good news of God's deliverance as our psalmist speaks of waiting for the Lord, of seeing deliverance from the pit of destruction, singing a new song, recognizing that from that many will see and fear, speaking truth about those who trust in the Lord. And then when we move to verses 6, 7, and 8, we saw these were quoted in, this section was quoted in, Uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, which is telling us then that while David is writing this, the object of this psalm in particular is the greater David, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was suffered and was delivered on our behalf in his death and in his resurrection. That indeed the glad news of deliverance has been declared to his people and that it was not hidden and made known. And in the closing words of this psalm, in verses 11 through 17, as we uh, continue to walk through this, uh, we see a continued idea of the knowledge that in waiting upon the Lord, our psalmist recognizes that the Lord is one who is merciful. As he cries out, you will not restrain your mercy from me. In these opening words of the last part of this psalm, he speaks a word of confidence. Now, some other translations speak of of this in terms of a request, not a statement, saying, O Lord, do not withhold your mercy or restrain your mercy from me. But in the very act of asking for mercy, it's expressing a confidence that God will show mercy to our psalmist consider David, how many difficulties he experienced, how many sufferings he experienced, and how often he cried out to the Lord for mercy, whether it was in being chased by Saul, whether it was being betrayed by his own son Absalom, or whether he was dealing with the consequences and guilt of his own sin. In particular, we think of when he uh, violated um, Uriah and Bathsheba, in which he sinned against the Lord and cried for mercy, and yet he expects mercy. And again, we could read this as a statement of confidence or as a request. Charles Spurgeon says this, O Lord, Do not restrain your mercy from me, or as it is written here, Spurgeon says this might be more correctly be read as a declaration of his confidence that help would not be refused. And so even David expressed confidence that the Lord would show mercy to him, for God had promised mercy to those who had trusted in him. But let us also consider the ultimate object of this verse and of this psalm. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who really truly is the one all of scripture points to. We have never properly completed a study of the scriptures if we do not ask the question, how is Christ relevant to this passage? We have never, we have not completed our study if we don't ask that question. But consider our Lord Jesus Christ, toward whom the Father withheld his tender care and his mercy for Jesus Christ. As it is said, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And Spurgeon again says, but whether we view this utterance as the cry of prayer or the avowal of faith, in either case it is instructive to us who take our suffering Lord for an example, and it approves to us how thoroughly he was made like unto his brethren. For our Lord Jesus Christ in and of himself had no need of mercy. For mercy is get is receiving that which we is is not receiving that which we deserve. We deserve just punishment. We deserve the wages of sin. Jesus did not deserve any of that. He had no need of mercy. But as he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, he, according to our guilt, needed God's mercy to deliver him from death, to deliver him from the cross, which he did find in the resurrection. We even see our Lord crying out to, to the Lord in his various different times of prayer before his, uh, before his betrayal on the night in which he was betrayed. But our brothers and sis- my brothers and sisters in Christ, because our Lord had that need, you and I have this confidence, he will not restrain his mercy from us. He is always merciful to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even as we learned in Hebrews, in his discipline of his people, it is, he is merciful. We must be very careful that while we must properly understand the judgment and justice of God and his wrath, we must also remember that in Christ Jesus we know. The friendly face of God. If we are in Christ, we must not view God as one who is waiting around the corner, just hoping, looking for us to fall so he can come down hard on us. That is not God for us in Christ. We have known his kindness. And even in his correction and training of us, he is kind. And so we have the expectation of mercy. So, in the weight of our own sin, just remember his mercy. For in that, we have the declaration of the gospel. Back in 2009, which I think about it, sounds like it was just yesterday, but was actually 15 years ago, a pastor in Dallas uh, told a story. In the Dallas area told a story about a rose. In which she went to a church service and he brought an unbeliever. Unbeliever who was engaged in some um, uh, ungodly relationships. And he thought this would be an opportunity for this person to hear the gospel. And the pastor got up and he passed and he held up a rose and he says everyone see everyone see this rose. How nice it is and, and how, how how wonderful it is. And he passed it around and then he said, I want you to I want all of you all to pass it around and smell it and feel how soft it is and he went on then to talk about sexual relations and how damaging they can be and all and which are true things. And then he came back and he said after the end of it he said, where's my rose? Someone brought it up and it was all broken and tattered and torn and falling apart. And he said, who and who in this room would want this kind of rose? And this pastor, before he's a pastor, he said, he he described it. He said, "And I was angry. I wanted to get up and do violence to this man. He says, because Jesus wants that rose. Jesus wants that rose. Because you and I are that rose. And that's what he told the person he brought. (laughs) Because that's the essence of the gospel. We who did not deserve mercy got mercy. Because Christ became that broken rose on our behalf. We continue to see your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Here we see the confidence of our Lord. We see David's confidence, for he, uh, in covenant, recognizing God's character and nature, understood that God would be faithful and true. But consider our Lord upon the cross, again, not needing mercy in and of himself, bearing our, our iniquity, sought deliverance, as Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 and 8 tell us. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest was appointed by him who said you are my son today i have begotten you and we see and, he, and we also continue to see in hebrews chapter 5 that in that though he did not exalt himself we see that he cried out and was heard on account of his own reverence Or it says, in the days of his flesh, this is Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from the death, from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That is, our Lord Jesus Christ was heard Because of his own reverence. Because of that he was preserved. And because of his reverence my brothers and sisters. You and I are preserved. Consider this. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he went through this. Because he suffered. Because he learned according to his human nature. What it is to obey. To obey in the midst of suffering. We have confidence to say. To our Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Because we have a Savior who sympathizes with us in our weakness. That is, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have, to channel a little bit of Johnny Cash, our man in black. Those of you who may not know the song he talks about how he wears black because of those who are who are who suffer in different ways in sympathy with them we have our lord who sympathizes with us in our weakness but without sin and because of that we have this great confidence your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever ever preserve me what is The evidence that his steadfast love and his faithfulness is with his people. Conventional wisdom would tell us that it is because we have attained to certain things. Would tell us God has blessed us and he has shown and that we see his love and his blessing through many good things that happen. Let's not deny every good and perfect gift comes from our father. But getting all the things that we want is not true and sure evidence of God's love. Nor is experiencing pain and difficulty sure and certain evidence that God is against us. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God is bound up in this. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for us. Well, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this, God made his love known to us. Because Christ sympathized with, sympathizes with our weakness, we have this confidence, his love and faithfulness is with us. your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. That is what keeps us his love and his faithfulness. I've told this story before, but there was a day when passages like this would make me uncomfortable. Because I wanted God to To be strong, to be mighty, and to be one who is ready to come crashing down on my sin. I was uncomfortable with this idea that God actually loves me. But this is the truth, my brothers and sisters. We see then continuing, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Putting in its original context, how many times was David beset with evil? We mentioned earlier whether Saul was pursuing him or his son Absalom taking his throne, driving him into exile. Or again, feeling the weight of his own sin. We may find ourselves struggling, whether beset with our own sin or Experiencing harassment or experiencing suffering, even suffering that is common to mankind, or the pangs of the enemy accusing our consciences. Our Lord, but was not our Lord Jesus Christ? Was he not, though without sin, beset with evils upon him? Did he not bear the weight of our sin? Were his griefs, his griefs were as innumerable as our sins. For he bore that which we deserve, though he himself had no evil. And he rose from the dead in deliverance. So we find deliverance in him, in our union with him. Again, evils may have encompass us, but our Lord was encompassed by our own evil. And so thus, even when we are encompassed with pain and even the weight of our own sin, we have one who took that upon himself for us. We even see David speaking, my iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. Think of David in his own context. After having uh, taken Bathsheba, after having killed Uriah in order to cover up his own uh, sin, and ultimately his son. After having, after having sinned against the Lord in so doing. Not only broken the seventh commandment. Broken the sixth commandment. Broken all of them in what he did. For he also coveted that which, is, that which uh, was not his. The prophet Nathan came to him. And after having been revealed what David did he told a story about a man who had uh, taken another's lamb and destroyed that. And he said, what do you do? And he said, you kill him. And he said, you're that man. And he said, woe is me, for I have sinned. And David was indeed beset with his sin. He was aware of his sin, such that he could not see For they are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. But our transfer, but our guilt of our sin was transferred to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that transfer was real and complete. Such that in our Lord Jesus Christ, we see as that old classic hymn says, the man of sorrows. What a name. Came he to die for, for me. We truly justly deserve anything our iniquities bring to us. But our Lord Jesus Christ was overtaken with them. In fact we could even say of our own sin just as David did. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. How many of us can count the hairs on our head? Now I don't have any visible hair on my head. But there's plenty there. Well, what's left? There's plenty there. I still wouldn't be able to count what's left. Nor would you. Any of us. But our sins are more than the hairs of my head, of our heads. None of us have a leg to stand on. David did not. None of the heroes of the Old Testament scriptures had a leg to stand on in that regard. Not David, not Abraham, not Gideon. Not any of them. Such that our hearts fail us. Again, Charles Spurgeon says the pains of the divine penalty were beyond compute. And the Savior's soul was so burdened with them that he was sore amazed. And the very heavy. Even unto a sweat of blood. His strength was gone. His spirit sank. He watched in agony. Do we not remember in the Gospel of Luke, my brothers and sisters, when our Lord, at at, at his suffering, cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How often do we refuse to look at our Savior in that light? We may want the strong savior, the lion of Judah, and that he is. But before we have that, we need the one who is the lamb of God. Who in his weakness suffered for us. And has sympathized with our weaknesses who died for our sin. For indeed. Our Lord experienced all of this. Even though he was without sin. Because our iniquities overtook him. That transfer was real. And so we can take such a cry to our God in Christ. And it means something for us. And the reason why is because. To quote an ad campaign with which I'm not familiar with at all. He gets us. Again, I know little about the advertising campaign about which the Christian interwebs right now seem to be all worked up. But we have a Savior who gets us. I have no idea what the ad campaign means and what they're saying. But I like the the statement for the believer. Our Lord gets us. And because He gets us, we get Him. Then in the last section, he continues with speaking of an application of the mercy in terms of deliverance. That though his heart fails him, though the hairs of his head, the iniquities are more than the hairs of his head, he says, "Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me." Lord Jesus Christ cried out for deliverance, as we saw in Hebrews five seven, and he was heard. According to his own reverence. How many times did David cry out to the Lord? How many times have we cried out to the Lord for deliverance? Seeking God to make haste. Throughout the stories of the Old Testament. We see the people of God going to the Lord saying help us. I think of King Hezekiah when he laid out King Sennacherib's threats before the Lord. And saying oh Lord deliver us. All of these are pointing to a greater deliverance. The people of God, Israel, in slavery in Egypt, crying out to the Lord, saying, Deliver us. And the Lord saying to Moses, I have heard my people's cry. Go and tell them. And go tell Pharaoh, Let my people go. And our Lord is pleased to deliver his people. When our Lord on our behalf was deli- as Hebrews 5, 7 sought deliverance. He was crying on behalf of us who need his grace, who are in him. He cried for God's mercy and grace to us. It was an act of his priestly prayer. We can read John 17, which we'll talk about a little bit in a moment. And we can see him interceding not only for his disciples at the time, but also for us and all others who would believe in him. And because he was heard, we are heard. Because he was heard, we are heard. It is not arrogance to say that God hears us when that whole basis is that someone else qualified us to be heard. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is our evidence that we have confidence to cry the same. "O oh Lord, deliver me. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. The church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages. This is our cry. Deliver us. Deliver me. Help me. For that is our posture. That is the place in which we live as needy people seeking the care of God, seeking His love and kindness that's for us in Jesus. This also means and expresses that we cannot hide. Our need for deliverance and our need for God to be with us in His kindness and His care. How often, even before the Lord, we may try to put on a face and say, I'm okay, you're okay, and try to pretend all is okay. One of my favorite songs to sing and play on the guitar. It's not a, a Christian song, but I enjoy. I like singing it because of its raw realness. In which the singer is not is the, the singer is not hiding his pain. And this is where we should be. I mean, the, the word, the words the song opens up with I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. And so we must be such before the Lord, open and honest in our need for care and deliverance. He then moves on now to express something else, that in the pain and in those who have opposed him, Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Think of David when Absalom had uh, driven him into exile from Jerusalem and sat upon the throne. And he could say, and he said, uh, and he essentially said, aha, aha, I have defeated you. But then. Absalom found the shame that he had thrown upon David. Even Saul. Or we think of the various different enemies of Israel throughout the ages. But he says, Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether. Again. Another commentator he says, "It is to the infinite whiz- confusion it is to the infinite commu- it is to the infinite confusion of Satan that his attempt to destroy the Saviour destroyed himself. The diabolical conclave who plotted in counsel are now alike put to shame for the Lord Jesus has met them at all points and turned their wisdom into foolishness that our Lord, even in his death upon the cross." What appeared to be his moment of shame was in reality his moment of victory. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek and snatch away my life. One of my favorite uh, stories in the scripture. And let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. One of my favorite stories in scripture is one that is kind of comical. I think of the instance in which Israel's enemies, the Philistines, uh, nabbed the Ark of the Covenant and took it. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6, we see the Philistines uh, moving the Ark to several parts of their territory. And moved it because wherever uh, it was, the people there were afflicted with tumors or uh, could be translated as hemorrhoids, it afflicted the people in each town in which it was taken. Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. And in Ashdod, the final place where the Philistines took the Ark, they put it in their temple next to the statue of Dagon. The statue of Dagon was found prostrate that has fallen down in front of the ark the next morning, beheaded. Fallen down once and the second time fallen down, beheaded with the hands being broken off. And, Philistines, and the Philistines sent word, you can have it back. We don't want this anymore. But even those battles and the many other battles are but types of a greater battle. The battle of the prince of the power of the air under whose dominion all of humanity submitted itself to in the garden. In so doing, we placed ourselves under the wrath of God and under the dominion of death. But in Christ Jesus, the prince of the power of the air has been defeated. Our sin has been defeated. And we have been taken out from underneath God's wrath and placed in his care. While the Son of God was being crucified, the powers of darkness were being behind the scenes, stripped of their power. Even death, 1 Corinthians 15, the greatest enemy has been defeated. Death has breathed its last. This is the great book by John, by um, John Owen says, the death of death in the death of Christ. It says, let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. Indeed, how many times have those who persecuted God's people been the object of scorn only to see themselves be ashamed? But in Christ on that day, all the insults, all the scorn, all the shame shall be returned infinitely. We looked at the book of Jonah last week in our beginning of that series. And we briefly mentioned Nahum and the prophecies against Nineveh. And essentially saying all the various different things that they did to other 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 peoples. It's saying those things will be done to you. And all shall be returned infinitely. But for those who seek his mercy. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. But let us also remember. That for those who might despise him. He is not the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But he is indeed the Lion of the tribe of Judah who devours his enemies. This is a reality. And it closes with the words. of Verses 16 and 17. We now see a contrast. He says to the enemies. May they be disappointed. May they be dishonored. May they may they be shamed. But now in contrast, he says, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Here we see a contrast. Those who are his, his prayer is for joy and gladness in his salvation such that we would say and his people would say, great is the Lord. And that is what our Lord prayed for us. Listen to his prayer in John seventeen nine, in which he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those for whom you have given me, for they are yours. And what does he pray if we keep reading that? He prays that his people would be kept and would continue enduring in himself, just as he consecrated himself for their sake and that they would be sanctified in the truth. Now, there might be those who would say, well, he was just praying for his disciples there. He wasn't really praying for us. But in John seventeen twenty, he continues to say, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. There in the garden in John chapter 17, our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, he prayed for me and he prayed for you. And this is what he prayed. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. But they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire Let us find great comfort in this, my brothers and sisters, that Jesus in his bitter hour remembers us, his lambs. And because of that, we we say now and we will continually say forever and ever, great is the Lord in his presence. Indeed, such is the great news of our salvation. And in the closing words, he brings us. Back again to his identification with us. David, in his own context, expresses As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Think of David, the king, sitting upon his throne in the palace. He says, I am poor and needy. He recognizes his neediness. He recognizes his own affliction and poverty. And in spite of that, he says, the Lord thinketh upon me. I quoted from the King James when I said that. This defies conventional wisdom. What does conventional wisdom tell us? Conventional wisdom says that God's eye is on the strong, is on the mighty, is on the powerful. That's what conventional wisdom tells us. But no, God's eyes are on those who are poor and needy, which in reality is all of humanity, but upon those who see it, whom He has made known, upon the broken. Think of our Lord, who was despised and forsaken. Who, when he was arrested, and we saw that his disciples all stood right beside him and went with him. No, they didn't. They scattered and took off running. They all did what Peter did essentially denied him. But he knew that his father was with him, his help and deliverer. As a matter of fact, upon the cross, people would say, you're the Messiah, deliver yourself. If you were truly the powerful Messiah, indeed, you wouldn't be in this place. But God's eye is upon him. And so his eye is upon us. He, Christ is our hope and deliverer. His eye is on us because of Christ. Not because of our greatness, our numbers, our strength, our riches, but it's because of our poverty. It's because of our neediness. So we can say with Christ. Our Lord, the Lord thinks of us that he is our help, that he is our deliverer. This confidence is ours, my brothers and sisters. As we look at these psalms and as you read through them, I highly recommend reading through the psalms regularly. These psalms give us the freedom to be real and raw with God and to express our hurt and our pain and our fears. And they give us the freedom to express confidence in God's love and kindness to whom Christ is pointed, and of uh, of which that is in Christ Jesus that all of these psalms point to in various different ways. So, brothers and sisters, indeed... Many evils encompass us. Many iniquities overtake us. But those evils and those iniquities are not greater than the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. And So let us take that before the Lord and with confidence go before him and say, you will not restrain your mercy from us because he did not. Because Jesus lived and died for us. We have our advocate. Let us pray. Father blessed be your name. And we thank you. That our Lord Jesus Christ. Did this for us. That while David wrote these things. He was speaking. Writing under the inspiration of your spirit. Of one to come. And we thank you that Jesus is this for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.